0: Hello, it's Joseph Iskier here. If the COVID crisis is causing consternation, then enjoy this timeless podcast from the Talking Urology Vaults. We may not be able to operate now, but when COVID-19 restrictions relax like a Botox bladder, our chat with Victor Nitti will have you ready to go. We look at one of the pivotal papers that defines the use of Onobotulinum toxin A for the treatment of idiopathic overactive bladder, which was published in the Journal of Urology in 2013. So, get your Botox-filled syringes ready, and I don't mean you, Kim Kardashian, and enjoy the podcast. Testing, one, two, three. Am I making this pop? Is it suspiciously poppy? Popular in here? Yeah, yeah, yep, that's poppy enough, yep. If that sounds good, then we can get cracking. Are you recording? Should we go? Yeah, go, we're recording. It's urology. It's not rocket science. It's not even brain
1: surgery. I can't believe the radiologist missed that. It stood out like dogs. You've got to have a sense of humour when you look at genitals, really. Bend over and assume the position bladder, most beautiful organ in the body.
0: Talking Urology with Dr. Joseph Iskia and Dr. Nathan Laurenchuk, a podcast series supported by Ipsen. I'm Joseph Iskia.
1: I'm Nathan Laurenchuk.
0: And we're Talking Urology, another day, another landmark paper that guides our everyday practice of urology. Today we're looking at one of the pivotal papers that defines the use of Onobotulinum toxin A for the treatment of idiopathic overactive bladder. The paper is with first author Victor Nitti and is titled Onobotulinum toxin A for the treatment of patients with overactive bladder and urinary incontinence, results of a phase 3 randomised, placebo controlled trial. And it was published in the Journal of Urology in 2013. And we were lucky enough to catch up with Victor Niddy during the most recent AUA as he took a little bit of time out of his hectic schedule.
2: I'm Vic Niddy. I'm the uh, Professor of Urology and Obstetrics and Gynecology at uh, the New York University Langone Medical Center.
1: But we have been using Onobotulinum toxin A for many years. Why is this paper published in 2013 so important? I guess we could look at it from the perspective of regulators. Onobotulinum toxin A has been approved and used for neurogenic detrusor activity, that is strokes, spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's, for some time. There have been non-randomised or single centre studies, but this is a big pharma-sponsored regulator-directed trial.
0: Quite right, and I asked Victor if he had any reservations with this being a drug-sponsored trial.
2: There are no concerns for me because this this is what we call a registration trial. And in order for a a, a treatment to be approved, uh, you have to do uh, appropriate registration trials and and you need two of them. So we had the one North American study and we had the one European study and they were designed uh, the same.
0: So that's the trial with first author Chris Chappell, published in European Urology in August 2013.
2: So those are two identical trials. Um, When a study uh, goes through a registration trial, uh, the protocol for the study is reviewed by the regulatory agencies, so the, the FDA in the United States, the European regulatory agencies, uh, to make sure that that study um, is looking at the proper endpoints, is properly designed. Um, and then it would be up to those regulatory agencies to make the decision that uh, if the, uh, whatever the the drug is or whatever the the treatment is, uh, if it's efficacious over placebo or a comparator, um and it is uh and it seems to be safe uh then uh, it, if that was approved by, if the protocols were approved by the regulatory agency you would assume that that would have a good chance of being uh, approved for its uh uh it, the indication that the the trial was designed to show so i think there's no other way to do it uh, if you want it to be something that's approved for use in any given country or any given region
1: so let's put the trial in context Idiopathic overactive bladder affects around 15% of the population. A third will have a degree of incontinence as well. First-line pharmacological treatment involves anticholinergics or the new class of B3 agonists, mirabegron. However, they are not always sufficiently effective and anticholinergics can have intolerable side effects.
0: Therefore, the aim was to broaden the on-label use of onabotulinum toxin A beyond the neurogenic population. This trial enrolled patients with idiopathic overactive bladder who experienced three or more urgency urinary incontinence episodes in a three-day period and an average of eight or more micturitions per day. They had to have failed prior anticholinergic therapy and have a post void residual of less than 100 mL.
1: The crux of the trial was that it was a double-blind treatment with onobotulinum toxin A100 units reconstituted with 10 mls of normal saline or placebo which was just the 10 mils of normal saline.
0: This study looks at owner botulinum toxin A, but we asked Victor if the type of botulinum toxin matters.
2: I think it does. Uh, different types of uh, toxins work in slightly different ways in uh, affecting the SNAP25 complex, which is the ultimate mechanism of action. Also different toxins come in different concentrations or different dosages that are really not transferable. So you can't say that 100 units of onabotulinum toxin A is equivalent to X units of abobotulinum toxin A or one of the B toxins. So I think each toxin works uniquely and really there isn't any data in the urinary tract on or any significant data, particularly in overactive bladder, on toxins other than on a botulinum toxin A.
1: Certainly, there have been a number of studies that have used different doses in idiopathic overactive bladder. One single centre study used 200 units with great effect. We asked Victor how they arrived at the dose for this trial.
2: I think when the study was designed, obviously the most important thing was choosing the dose. So there was a dose ranging study that was published a few years prior. Uh, Roger Demikowski was the the lead author on that study. And that was where 50, 50, 100, 150, 200, and 300 units were looked at. And the dose was really chosen for a combination of efficacy uh, versus uh, adverse events, and particularly elevated postvoid residual and the need to catheterize. So it was felt that the 100 units was going to give the best efficacy versus side effect profile.
0: Okay, so we have the dose, and the Onabotulinum toxin A was delivered by the standard technique of 20 evenly distributed intra injections of 0.5 ml per injection site, sparing the trigone. Injections were spaced approximately one centimetre apart. The needle was inserted approximately two millimetres into the detrusor muscle
1: to get that classic blebbing effect. The study ran for 24 weeks, with the main analysis being done at 12 weeks, as patients could actually have further treatment after this time point of the trial. Three-day bladder diaries collected the usual overactive bladder data. Patients recorded their perception of treatment benefit at each post-treatment visit using the treatment benefit scale, rating their condition as greatly improved, improved, unchanged or worsened. The impact of overactive bladder on quality of life was also assessed at week 12 using two validated patient questionnaires, being the Incontinence Quality of Life instrument and King's Health questionnaire.
0: There were two co-primary objectives. Firstly, the change from baseline in the daily average frequency of urinary incontinence episodes. And secondly, the proportion of patients with a positive treatment response on the treatment benefit score, i.e., they had to say that the condition had either greatly improved or improved at post treatment week 12. There were also a number of secondary objectives. These included improvements in the number of micturitions or urgency episodes, quality of life measures, voided volumes, post void residuals, and also adverse events such as UTIs or the need for clean intermittent catheterisation were recorded.
1: On that point, clean intermittent catheterization was initiated if a post residual volume was 200 mL or greater with associated symptoms or if the post-void residual was greater than 350 mls regardless of symptoms. A patient had a UTI if a positive urine culture was recorded regardless of symptoms.
0: Okay, let's take a look at the study population. There were 557 patients who were randomised, There was 280 in the onobotulinum toxin A group and 277 who received placebo. And these really were unhappy patients. The average duration of overactive bladder symptoms was 6.7 years. Patients had used an average of 2.5 anticholinergics for a mean of 2.4 years before study entry. And the baseline number of urgency incontinence episodes was over 4
1: per day. Now for the results. At 12 weeks, the decrease in the mean daily frequency of urinary incontinence episodes for onobotulinum toxin A was 2.65 versus 0.87 for placebo. That is around a 50% reduction from baseline for onobotulinum toxin A versus minus 12.5% for placebo. That is almost a 50% reduction from baseline for onobotulinum toxin A versus only around a 12.5% reduction for placebo. Regarding the treatment benefit score, the proportion who reported a positive treatment response to a predefined level was 61% in the Onobotulinum Toxin A group versus 29% in placebo. Finally, there were large significant differences in the improvements of mean number of micturitions, urgency episodes, nocturia, and voided volumes in the Onobotulinum Toxin A compared to the placebo arm.
0: And when they looked at the quality of life outcomes, there were significant improvements seen in the baseline for Onobotulinum toxin A compared to placebo. When we looked at the adverse events, the rate of UTI was significantly greater in the Onobotulinum toxin A arm. This was 16% compared to 6% for placebo. And the proportion of patients who initiated clean intermittent catheterization at any time during the first 12 weeks was 6% for onobotulinum toxin A compared to none in the placebo group.
2: The quote-unquote UTI rate is UTIs were defined in the study as... um, Really, the detection of bacteria with white cells in the urine. So, many of those patients were asymptomatic. Um, I can tell you that some of those patients were, were patients from my site and they were never treated for a UTI. So, it was a very broad um, definition of a UTI. Having said that, there does seem to be an increased risk of bacteria and probably even UTI in the Botox group or the onabotulinum toxin A group versus placebo. Uh, I'm not 100% sure why that is, and I'm not sure anybody is. Um, It seems to be, in many cases, independent of post-void residual, independent of the need to catheterize. So there may be some effect of the onabotulinum toxin A on the urothelium that makes it a little bit more susceptible to bacteria and maybe even UTIs. I can tell you in clinical practice issues with urinary tract infections are not I don't think are a major limitation to the use of of onabotulinum toxin A.
1: Not surprisingly the post-void residual significantly increased in patients treated with onabotulinum toxin A versus placebo with the highest volume at post-treatment week 2 which subsequently decreased over the next 10 weeks. For more than half the patients who initiated clean intermittent catheterization, the duration was six weeks or less. I think this is an important point. The need
0: for clean intermittent catheterization is probably one of the key limiting considerations in planning on a botulinum toxin for patients. We asked Victor if he had any tips or tricks on how we can reduce the catheterization rate.
2: I don't know of anything in an individual patient that one can do to reduce uh, the catheterization rate. I think patient selection is important. We we think that. Um, patients who are older, patients who have uh, detrusor underactivity if they've undergone urodynamics. And remember, in this large study, patients were not subjected to urodynamics. We found at our site that if patients have detrusor underactivity, they're at higher risk of needing to catheterize. We know diabetics are at higher risk uh, of needing to catheterize. So in an individual patient at this time, other than dosing, and this, these are all 100-unit dosages, uh, Dosages, um, we don't really, you know, if you inject the Trigone, don't inject the Trigone, et cetera. Those are all interesting questions, but we really don't have the answer. So patient selection is really the best thing that we have to, to try and choose patients that are at less risk, but it still remains a risk in any patient.
1: Overall, there was a two- to four-fold improvement over placebo in all overactive bladder symptoms which is far greater than any benefits seen in previous studies investigating anticholinergics. While we
0: know that onabotulinum toxin A directly inhibits efferent acetylcholine-mediated detrusor contractions, it may have multiple other effects in the overactive bladder wall, which we just don't understand yet. And I think this really opens the possibility for synergistic effects with other agents, such as the beta-3 agonists.
1: We asked Victor if he thought there were any unanswered questions regarding Onobotulinum Toxin A in overactive
2: bladder. I think for me the biggest unanswered question is patient selection and can we better choose patients who are um, number one likely to respond and number two likely to not have an adverse event. Are there a group of patients, for example, where the 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 need to catheterize rate is zero percent? Interestingly, at NYU, we've we've identified one such group preliminarily, which seems to be men who have had radical prostatectomies. Those patients, when given a hundred units of onabotulinum toxin, they seem to never have issues with bladder emptying. So. That's just one small example, but there may be others where we can uh, assure a patient that the risk of an adverse event is, uh, is, is less. And then, of course, how, the, how the, the, the toxin is delivered. In the future, will there be better delivery methods uh, other than 20 separate injections into the bladder?
0: So Victor, in practice, if someone fails at the 100 units with idiopathic overactive bladder incontinence, do you increase the dose?
2: So that's a great question, and there's a couple of different scenarios. So if I have a patient who is a responder and comes in and has had a poor response to a particular injection but was previously a responder... I would probably reinject inject 100 units and assume that for whatever reason the injection that the patient got on that particular day uh, where they had less of a response was just maybe not as technically good as uh, previous injections were. If it's a, a, a patient in whom I'm fairly confident that that dose didn't work, whether it's a first-time treated patient or, uh, or not. I guess you have, you really have two options. One option would be another 100 unit injection early, so at the three month point, to inject a second 100 units, uh, assuming that there's still an effect of the first 100 units, versus increasing the dose and going up now in the united states that's an off-label indication but i have certainly done it and you can go up to 150 units or you can go up to 200 units as long as the patient is willing to accept a slightly higher risk of needing to catheterize i would do that in select patients
1: how about the use of onabotulinum toxin a in patients with overactive bladders without incontinence
2: on the United States label, it's indicated for overactive bladder. But uh, in uh, in all fairness, every patient um, had incontinence, and most of them had pretty significant urgency incontinence. So the question is, does it work well in the OAB dry patient? And I can tell you that my own experience is only anecdotal. Um, So I don't know that I have enough of experience to say it works as well in the OAB dry patient as it does in the OAB uh, wet patient. That is certainly, I think, an area for future research.
1: So the take home message is that Onobotulinum toxin A 100 units is effective in idiopathic overactive bladder by nearly every measure. Beware retention and the need for clean intermittent catheterisation.
0: And there you have it. We've been Talking Urology with Victor Nitti. If you have any burning issues or concerns, please email us at talkingurology@gmail.com. And stay tuned where we chat about the landmark papers with the key authors. This has been Talking Urology with Dr. Joseph Iskia and Dr. Nathan Lorachuk, a podcast series supported by Ipsen.